Hey, podcast listeners, a quick shout out to our sponsors, FYI CBD, a safe, legal, and 100% natural way to replenish the endocannabinoid system in the human body, resulting in unparalleled health benefits. Scientific studies show CBD provides therapeutic medicinal benefits. According to a 2013 review published in the British Journal of Clinical Pharmacology, CBD soothes nausea and vomiting, acts as an antioxidant to reduce free radicals that cause neurodegenerative disorders, and works as an anti-inflammatory to reduce swelling. CBD also stimulates appetite and relieves pain. My buddies, John and Caleb, run FYI CBD. I've been surfing with these guys for 20 years. Two of the most solid guys I know. Use promo code BOARDROOM20 at checkout at FYI CBD for 20% off. Promo code BOARDROOM20 at checkout for 20% off. Go to FYICBD.com. Monkey Surf Resort, the newly built Monkey's Resort, is a luxury Telo Island surf resort in Sumatra, Indonesia, providing better access to premier Telo Island waves, monkeysresort.com. I'm looking forward to my trip out to Monkey's Resort here this year in 2020. Killer waves, gorgeous accommodations, monkeysresort.com. Check it out. My friend Michael Benedict went on a long surf trip. Many of us, if not all of us, have gone on a surf trip, Mentawise or Costa Rica, Morocco or Hawaii, wherever it was. It was a leisurely trip based on our love of riding waves, basically a surf vacation. But what Michael Benedict did was different. He went on a pilgrimage, a surf pilgrimage, a quest, a long relatively undefined expedition. His final destination was known, but the journey in between, the trek from spot A to spot B, this portion of his journey, the journey itself, fell at his discretion based on various seen and unforeseen factors such as swell, wind, and also social, political, and economic forces. What if I told you that you, the listener, that you should get in your truck by yourself, load a few surfboards and rudimentary camping essentials, and drive to the southernmost tip of South America, spending as much time as you need. Could you do it? Would you want to do it? Should you do it? What would you find? What is stopping you from the surf pilgrimage of a lifetime besides life itself? The Boardroom Podcast with Michael Benedict. Let us begin. Yeah, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast, Michael Benedict. By the way, do you prefer Michael or Mike? Oh, Mike's fine. I usually, how's the oolong tea? Do you like this? This is a reserve milk oolong. Do you drink green tea? I rarely drink tea, but it's very good. I just drank some. Mm -hmm. I usually start off the podcast by asking a lighthearted question or one that may catch you off guard. It's fine. When was the last time you sang a song? 
the last time I sang a song. Sometimes I sing while I'm driving, listening to uh, to songs, but not very often. Okay, I was sitting at the beach at Cardiff, and Tris M. Bowden walked up. He's the drummer for Honk, for Chicago, for all these other great bands. Yeah. And he had had shoulder surgery, and he saw my, my sling, and we started talking. And I, and I play the harmonica, and one of my favorite songs to play is uh, with um, the harmonica. I play Love You, Baby, Love You, Baby, one of the honk songs right. on uh, Five Summer Stories. And I just kind of briefly sang that. He was laughing, and, and uh, we became friends. We went to breakfast, and it's pretty cool. We have a friendship now. He just moved to Cardiff. When he came up to you with, um, so you guys are brothers in arms, so to speak, because you both have some shoulder issues or some. Well, he had had some in the past. Did you it, know who it was? Is, no, I, just, I never heard of him. I don't. Just talking. I don't him. really follow music. Yeah. Very much. Or, yeah. And we were just talking, talking about surfing and surgeries and all this stuff. And then I asked him, "Well, what do you do?" And he goes, "Well, I was a drummer for Chicago for thirty years. I was the founding member of Honk. I, I worked with Kenny Loggins, Al Jarreau, all these people. I'm just like." Wow, you're like the most famous person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. I actually met this guy at the boardroom show last year. He he came up to me at my show, and oh, we okay. rapped out for a while. So I know who you mean. Super friendly. Yeah, really cool guy. Yeah, he just moved to Cardiff. That's sweet. Super nice. Yeah. Super nice guy. Yeah. Mike, we're here to talk about your sojourn, if you will, your trip, your long trip into Mexico and Central America and into South America and... Um, but I'd like to give the listeners a little bit of backstory about you. So how long have you been surfing? How old are you? Where did you grow up? Give us some backstory about Mike Benedict. Well, I started surfing when I was 11 years old. First place I surfed was uh, PB Pier on Pacific Beach. And then I moved up to Encinitas in 72 after I graduated from high school. I'm, and I'm 65 now. I didn't do the math on that, but how long have you been surfing, roughly? I think that's uh, 54 years. 54 years of surfing. You took this incredible trip, right? You started here in Encinitas. You eventually ended up all the way down in Chile or Peru, or how far down the, did you actually? The tip of South America, there's a little town called Ushuaia. It's the furthest south you can drive in the world. Wow, you went way down there. All the way. It's, Rad. It's, uh, it's called the Pan American Highway. Uh-huh. The Pan American Highway is actually a bunch of different roads, but they're all kind of going the same direction, except in South America. It's one road. I think it's Highway 25 or something like that. It goes through Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Argentina, all the way to Tierra del Fuego to this little town called Ushuaia. Wow. Yeah, it was remarkable. How, how long was your entire trip from the, from the beginning to the end? About a year. A year. Help me out. People, podcast listeners might not know this, but Mike's a good friend of mine. And as I recall, and I could be wrong here, Mike, did you start the trip with the intent of going all the way down there, or wasn't it just a trip to Baja, and you just said, I'm going to keep going? Yeah, I had just recently retired, and um, I went to Baja for a couple of weeks, and I met these, uh, this French guy and these two Australians that were at the surf spot about halfway down Baja, like in my own backyard yeah. that I've been surfing for, for a f- long 50 time. 50 years. And this one guy was going to go down to the tip of South America on the Pan American Highway. And, and, uh, and then the Australians have spent a year and a half uh, traveling through Mexico and Central America just having these great adventures. And we had dinner, and they go, well, what are you going to do? I go, well, go home. He goes, why don't you go to the highway and go right instead of left? And I'm like, yeah, why don't I? And so I, get to, I was like 
I could hardly sleep that night. I was thinking, why don't I do that? I never, it wasn't even on the radar. I had no intention of doing this whatsoever. They gave me their book on uh, Central America, and we became friends, and we talked more. The, and, uh, and then I made a decision I was going to go. You're going to turn right instead of turn. Yeah, but I went home. I, I did go home for three days and got some more surfboards and and I uh, got a uh, you know a couple of supplies and stuff like that. I I was driving a 2003 Toyota Tacoma with 230 thousand miles on it. A four wheel drive? No, two wheel uh-huh. drive. Mm-hmm. A pre runner, so it sits up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I just put really good tires on it. Really, uh, really strong tires. And they could handle all the, you know, bad roads and, and the, you know, a very reliable vehicle. But yeah. I just had a little camper shell on the back. And I have my mat in the back and I have a camp stove and four surfboards on top. And So when you came home, what other supplies were you thinking? Because I know when you went to Mexico, you probably like, okay, I've done this a million times. I've got my setup. I'm going to grab my stuff out of my garage or whatever. But when you came back, was there other things on your radar? Like, I might need this or I might need that. And so how did that pre-planning go? Well, I needed to get a book on South America. So I went to Barnes & Noble and picked up a book on South America. and Central. Well, I had the one on Central America. Um, I needed surfboards. I needed. Uh, I bought this quad, uh, Hanson Black Knight quad. Right, good board. Just friggin' amazing. How big is that board? It was six four, and it worked really well in some places. Some places it, it didn't work so hot, but it was fun. Really yeah. fast board, super yeah. fast. And then I had this board that was my brother's. That was uh, Wayne Lynch seven one. I think it was mm-hmm. like a rounded pin, like gun. Yeah. And uh, then I had a longboard, a Yater longboard, and then a uh, John Keys, like an 8.8, you know, just standard surfboard. Yeah. You know, kind of a, it was like a Twinser, it's like a, a thruster. Uh-huh, right. And I had just had surgery on my shoulder. I had the surgery in a couple of years. And I had surgery on my shoulder before I went to Baja. I mean, um, well, let me back this up. I had surgery a year before I went to Baja. Yeah. And when I figured out that I could surf again, I thought, because I didn't think I'd ever surf again. Yeah. I thought my shoulder was so messed up I'd never surf again. Mm-hmm. And when I figured out that they had repaired it really well, I go, I'm going on a surf trip. And <laughs> that's Because I, I thought it was over. I thought yeah. my days were over. And so that's when I went to Baja. And uh, then that's when I met these amazing people and developed this idea to just go south. Did you, um, did you use all four boards or did you have too many boards, do you think? Oh, no, I used them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Did you need them? Or could you have packed lighter, I guess, is my question, regarding board. Well, I, I think I made some mistakes on board design. I probably I probably should have got a more updated, like, thruster, a smaller thruster mm-hmm. for bigger, more juicier waves. Yeah. The Wayne Lynch was sort of uh, outdated, had a little too much rocker. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some spots, it just kind of bogged down. Yeah, yeah. It really bothered me. I was kind of bummed about that. But, you know, I made do. Yeah. Yeah, so so you start your trip and you and you're you're going down all the way at the so were you like I'm going to the tip of South America was that the plan or was the plan like maybe I'm just going to go to one of those great points in Peru and turn around or were you dead set on going all the way down to the tip? No, of South I made a decision when I was in Baja that okay. I'm going to go to the tip of South America, and I came back. I did a little bit of research on surf spots down there and you know in in Peru and Chile and stuff like that. And then I um, I was only home for three days. Yeah. And I just took off, just like, bam. 
um, got a bunch of books, you know, because I was just by myself, and yeah. I didn't. And so I, every evening I would read. I just read a bunch of books. So I had a bunch of books to read and surfboards and, you know, food and, you know, little propane bottles and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I was really, um, you know, I'm kind of a ragtag kind of guy, you know. I don't, Real simple, little single burner camp stove, a mat in the back of the truck. Right. You know, a sleeping bag on it. Yeah. <laughs> a couple extra blankets. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Right. And by yourself, which by I myself. think is the most interesting thing, right? Like, that's a pretty unique thing. I don't think many people would travel to Baja and beyond by themselves. I think that's kind of fascinating in a way. And so was that a decision that you made on purpose or was it just like, hey, no one's going with me and I'm going or would you rather travel by yourself? I'm kind of a loner. And, uh, you know, I I like adventure. I I mean, I I guess I'm an adrenaline junkie. I don't know. I do a lot of stuff alone. I used to do a lot of stuff with my brother before he died. Yeah. And then, um, you know, since he's been gone, whenever, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I just kind of yeah. sort of a loner. It's probably simpler, right? At this age in our lives, it's like, I know what I like. I don't really necessarily need to kind of like kowtow to what it is the other person wants. I'd rather just go do my thing. Is there yeah. some of that? Yeah, I don't know who I would ask to go. I mean, when I was on my trip, I asked a bunch of people to meet me at certain places. Yeah. Nobody would come meet me. Yeah. You know, like in Chile and Peru, I was like, the waves are amazing. People wouldn't even respond to me. <laughs> it's like, no way. You, you know, never I'll, asked me. <laughs> I should have. I probably wouldn't have been able to make it. I, yeah, I mean. Not, we have these, you know, we're not retired or cruising or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I had retired and I was just, my business kept me um, at home a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so when I was finally free, I was like, man, I got I to gotta go see the world somewhere. So you're here for three days, and you get your stuff together, and you and you head down. And where's your first? Um, I know we're sensitive to certain names or whatever, but so did you go to Central Baja, or did you stop in Rosarito, or like? I'd like to talk about sort of the progression of your trip. Well, and- it was winter time, and San Miguel was going off. Okay. I stayed there for a week. It was like about eight foot, just friggin' firing. Just firing. And I just, you know, I warmed you up. You have no time frame, right? You're just like, I'm going until the waves stop, and then I'm going to keep on going south. Is that was kind of what? That's exactly what I did. I, I surfed. Uh, I would surf a swell till it died, yeah. and then I'd travel. Kill. It's perfect. How great is that? Yeah, I'd surf it. Like, I'd wait for a swell to peak out, and then when I started dropping or I got small, I'd take off and start dra- traveling again. And so you surf San Miguel. You got fun San Miguel in the wintertime. I surfed San Miguel for a week or you know, over a week, and I just it was just firing. It was so good. And, and you were just camping there in the parking lot? No, my friend has a place up at La Salina. He's got like a little mm-hmm. ranch. I stayed at his ranch with some, some Mexican people. Yeah. And, you know, I've gone to Mexico since I was a little kid with my brother. Mm-hmm. He used to take me down to Tijuana to get my hair cut for a quarter, and we'd, we'd hang around and eat tacos and go see highlight games. And so I'm really... F- Comfortable in Mexico. Yeah. Even though the, you know, the violence that's down there these days, you know, I have a really heightened sense of awareness and, and fear, but I'm very careful. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. And you're by yourself. And, and frankly, and I've told you this before, you could kind of pass as, as quasi Mexican because of the mustache <laughs> and stuff. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I know you're Irish. But <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, so you you 
you go from San Miguel and and you spend a week there, and then where are you off to? What's your thought? And then I, and then I, I just cruised along the coast. I went down towards like uh, the Cuatro's Casas area and cruised along there. And the waves were the way the swell had died. And then I headed down towards the Seven Sisters down in there. Yeah. And I found there's this little spot I love mm-hmm. going there for years. And I pulled in there, and it reminded me of um, the film Endless Summer. When when they pulled up to Cape St. Francis, and I was sitting there, and I'd been surfing this place for a couple of weeks. I just stayed there for a while, just like, you know, I'm getting back into surfing condition yeah. after being off for several years with this shoulder thing. And uh, I remember sitting there, and I just going, gosh, it looks just like Cape St. Francis in that movie, Endless Summer. Yeah. I go, this is my Cape St. Francis, you know? Yeah. And I was like... I see these the offshores, these like f- little three, four foot waves just peeling off endlessly, just perfect. And I surfed till I couldn't move every day. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is Beautiful. this is awesome, you know. And I think I was just I sat there. I just thought everybody needs to find their own Cape St. Francis. Yeah, and I'm just you know. You found yours relatively early in your trip. Well, there was a lot of them. Yeah, there was a lot of them. Were there people around during your first little st- couple of stops? Oh at yeah, San Miguel and. Yeah. Oh, people, yeah. Yeah. And so from there, what was the next plan? What was your next? Well, I was going to go down, uh, you know, it was really neat because I could, I could go down the dirt roads yeah. along the coast because yeah. I had no time frame. I could just go and just explore and yeah. stuff. And so, you know, I took the dirt roads. I went up through Asuncion and all along the coast down to um, Abreojos. Mm-hmm. It was just really cool, but the yeah. swell the swell had died. Yeah. It was still kind of flat. And then I went down to uh, to Pequena, mm-hmm. hung out there for a while. There was some little waves. It was still it was winter. And it was still really cold. But I surfed. You know, I surfed Third Point. There was little waves. I was all by myself, yeah. and I was it was stoked. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I saw this old friend of mine that was living down there that um, I'd known for a very long time. And yeah. Had you seen him in a long time? Was this like a reunion? I, I hadn't seen him in a long time. Oh, cool! You know, and he—a uh, Mexican guy or no, a gringo? Yeah. But you know, uh, drugs had taken a better part of his life, man. He was so messed up. Oh, that's sad. And I had um, approached him to maybe because I figured, you know, I was a good friend of his. Yeah. In fact, we used to live together back in the eighties. Yeah. I said, why don't you know? Why don't we go back and and get in, get into a rehab, you know? And yeah. and uh, boy, that pissed him off. He oh. didn't he didn't want to hear anything about it. He told me just to, I'm going to drink till I die and forget it. Yeah. And I took that as like, okay, I get the point. And I split, and yeah. then I started heading south, and I, you know, I went further south, and then my uh, my girlfriend or my you know like um, Pam came to meet me. Then in La Paz for about a week, we hung out, rented a hotel, and then, then after she split, I went down to the tip, hung out down there, and uh, you know camped a, at the tip. And the, it was springtime then. By that time, it was like April, yeah. Semana Santa, which is Easter, yeah. and all the, the Mexican people they come and camp on the beach, and they br- it was really cool. It yeah. was I was at this place where I met all these you know. Mexican families, and I just had a blast. It was really fun. So you were like down in the East East Cape, the East portion Cape. Of, yeah, cool. I was just hanging out down there, surfing great surf, and and you know no wetsuit, and just great waves and good people, and just had a great time. So I did that, and then uh, 
you know, it was uh, it was it was really weird. Uh, this guy took a drone footage of me surfing. Yeah, I had that Henson quad. It was about five foot. I was just, you know, I was. You were surfing good. I was having a good time, and <clears throat> he brings me in, and he, and he has this little RV. He goes, man, I got this drone footage of you. You want to watch it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we started talking, and uh, he shows me this footage. I was like, I'd never, I'd never seen anything like that. It was amazing. And uh, and he starts asking me my name and all this stuff. And then he has this book called Free Diving that my brother had taken the, the um, photograph that was on the cover. And there was an article about me in there. There were, you know, free diving and there was an article about him and yeah. and all this stuff. So, so the, for the listeners that don't know, Howard Benedict is your brother, and Mike, you are both really excellent divers, and in fact, um, world-class divers. And I believe you or your brother hold some records or held a record at some point? Well, he had held unofficial world record for the biggest Wahoo, 102 pounds. So we had, we, uh, or he had speared when we circumnavigated Baja in his 26-foot boat back in 1983. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> he held that record for a long time, but since it's been broken by other, other divers, you know, they've got much bigger, yeah, they've shot much sure, bigger Wahoo. Sure. Hey, a quick break in the podcast to tell you about FYI CBD, a safe, legal, and 100% natural way to replenish the endocannabinoid system in the human body, resulting in unparalleled health benefits. Use promo code BOARDROOM20 at checkout for 20% off. FYI CBD, FYI CBD, use promo code BOARDROOM20 at checkout for 20% off. FYI CBD. Now back to the podcast. But this this thing with this, uh, you know, this guy bringing this thing up about my brother, I got really emotional. Yeah. And um, How so? Like like in a happy way or in a sad just, way? Or yeah, I started, cr- I started crying. Yeah. You know, just yeah. like. I missed him a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I split. And I thought, well, that's enough of this. And so I went, over, went back up to La Paz and caught the ferry across to uh, Mazatlan. Meeting this guy and, and seeing the book and sort of reliving some emotion with your brother made you leave that area? Is that what you're suggesting? Or you were just like, the swell's gone, it's time to move on? You know, I can only stay somewhere so long. Yeah. You know, some people will post up for months. That's, you know. yeah. I just like to I like to see what's around the next corner. Right. I like to ride the next wave. I like to meet the you know see the I just like to keep moving. Right. right. You know, so sure. it was it was time to move on. Okay, gotcha. Okay, it was time right. to move on. So do you take the ferry from La Paz? Take the ferry from La Paz. How much does the ferry cost? Well there you have to get a permit, temporary import permit. I don't know. It was like five hundred bucks for the whole thing. Uh-huh. So maybe bucks. not even that much. I think the ferry itself was a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. I don't recall exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was you know, the whole trip was not as inexpensive as I thought it would be. Yeah. You know, when Pam came down we stayed in hotels, we'd eat out. I mean, sure. you know, yeah, I had some adds- money and I didn't yeah. well, you know, I didn't dirt bag it totally. No, no. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> if I wanted to eat out I would. If I yeah. wanted to stay in a in a hotel for a night or two, I would, or whatever, you know, I just, you know, my day is a dirt bag, you know, although I was sleeping in the back of a little Toyota truck, yeah. you know, which was pretty minimalistic yeah. for a long time, for nine months, yeah. you know, so I saved a lot of money by just camping out. For sure. But. <laughs> so you take the ferry from La Paz, does it disembark at Mazatlan? Yeah. And how long is that ferry ride? You've got it's, your truck and. It's overnight. Okay. You wake up and you, you drive off the ferry at Mazatlan. 
And see, when my was when I was a little boy, my brother was in um, in, in college. When he'd have a break, we'd get in his VW bus and we would drive from San Diego down to Mazatlan in his yeah. VW bus. When I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, yeah. I drove down there with him. Yeah. And we had adventures like, like through the Sonoran Desert? Or, yeah, or, through the Sonoran Desert. Yeah. And, Los Mochis uh, and Hermosillo and all of that. Yeah, through Hermosillo yeah. and all that stuff in those days. I mean, it was. It was just rad, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people did that in those days. You you did it? I did it in 83. Or no, 81 or 82 when I was a junior in high school. Yeah. Well, I did it in the 60s. Yeah. You know? And I wasn't born yet. <laughs> yeah. I think like 69 or, or 70 or something like that, we did it. I was young before high school. When I was in junior high, I did it. That was sort of the trip, huh, for your generation of guys, you know, thanks in part to Surfer Magazine and Severson, this idea that go find the perfect wave. And, of course, my... Um, that great wave down there, um, Matachimbe. Yeah, Matachimbe is on everyone's mind. And was that sort of the driving point for you guys back then? Was like this perfect Matachimbe wave? Well, I didn't go there with him at that on that trip. Right. But um, we went into Mazalan and we went into uh, some spots down there that. I mean, there's no map of where to surf. Yeah. In fact, I was attacked by a shark down there wow. in, in north then. of Mazalan, a little town called Marmel. A little. What year was that? Uh, I think it was like 69. Yeah. What happened? Um, he had his girlfriend with him, and they hung out at the, uh, you know, in the camp. And I walked down the beach because I saw this peak breaking down the beach. Kind of looked like Sunset Cliffs where it broke sort of far out. Yeah. And I'm paddling out, and the sun is, uh, you know, shining, and the seagulls are, you know, chirping, and the um, this wave is coming. I'm sort of in this channel. All of a sudden, the back of my board lifts out of the water, and this huge hump of, of water just splashes, and this wave is starting to break, and I paddle over and catch this wave all the way to the beach on my stomach, comple- <laughs> completely terrified. Radical. I'm like 13 or 14 years old. I'm completely terrified, just like, but I didn't get bit. Yeah. It, the, you know, I talked to some, you know, shark experts later, and, uh, you know, they bu- sometimes they'll bump things yeah. before they bite them, and yeah. apparently that's what happened to me. Wow, crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. So fast forward to, to this trip. You're, you're down and you're disembarking Mazatlan, and, and what is your plan there? You, you drive off the ferry. What's going through your brain? Are you going? Well, I wanted to go down to, uh, to San Blas, where Modichin Bay is. Yeah. And, uh, you and, know, I, and it's like June? It's like May? Like it's May. springtime? Yeah. It was May. Okay, good. I think it was May. I'm sure it was May. Yeah, yeah. I went down there, and uh, I had gone down there. as a place on the outside point of this place called Stoners, mm-hmm. which was I caught in the 70s. I think it was like 75 I went down there. I met some flirting guys. I took a bus down there from Tijuana with my <laughs> surfboard. Oh, my God. And um, I met these guys from Florida, and we and we surfed for three days. There was a Chabasco off the coast, and we surfed these, like, eight-foot waves, just the four of us wow. the whole time. It was unreal. And then one day we went over to Santa Cruz across the bay. Uh-huh. So I wanted to go see the spot again. I know there wasn't a swell, but I wanted to go see it. And it had built up so much, I could hardly get to the beach. It was yeah. really – it was a lot different, you yeah. know, than, than I remember and um, sort of disheartening well you know i mean like as at santa cruz we'd pull right up to the beach paddled out there he couldn't even hardly get to the beach yeah. 
It was so built up, and it was just kind of... Was it sad for you, or was it more like, this is just the way it changed? This well, just, it was just, you know, just time to keep is. moving, yeah. you know. I just needed to keep going south. I knew that when I went on this trip, I knew things weren't going to be the same as they were a long time ago. Yeah. And, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And so and so next on your radar, are you thinking, like, um, um, I guess, would it be Puerto Vallarta, or, um, or were you... <clears throat> Well, yeah, I was thinking about going into Puerto Vallarta, but I wanted to go a little further south, but into Michmacan, because uh-huh. I had surfed there before, and I love those waves down there. Yeah, nice, powerful. There's some nice points down uh-huh. there. Yeah, and um, there were a lot of travel warnings at I that was time. To ask you about that yeah. on the Highway 200, mm-hmm. and um, you know, being alone and being older. You know, I was 63 when I embarked on this journey, and and I. You know, I was pretty careful, and so I decided to go on the carretera, which is like the toll road, mm-hmm. and it goes up th- to Guadalajara. You kind of bypass Puerto Vallarta, right? And um, and so I did that. I went up to the. I, it took me a while to get on the carretera and 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 just kind of bypass this whole region, right? And then I and then I was. For some reason, I thought I was going to go to Oaxaca. I thought, what am I doing? I'm missing all these waves. And I'm just like, so I just, I came to Morelia, which is a city just north of uh, Mexico City. Yeah. And I arrived there at night. And I and one of my things was I never drove at night. I rarely drove at night. Yeah. I, and I got stuck driving at night because I underestimated how much time it would take me. And so I get to the stoplight in, Mor- in Morelia, Michoacan. There's essentially no police. The cartels pretty much run that that city from what i've read yeah and the whole state frankly i think yeah and so you know i'm just like man i need to find a place to park you know a a hotel or something you know and i'm at the stoplight and i look over to my right and this little moto pulls up next to me a little like i don't know 50 or a 125 like honda or something like that there's this little this little guy with this um like ak-47 strapped across his back a, huh. a Sicario, like a hitman, a Mexican hitman. Yeah. And he's just parked next to me. He's like next to me, waiting for the light to turn green. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, okay, it's time to really find a hotel now. And I, I had, you know, so I, I turned around, I saw this spot, and I checked into this little place. And, yeah. But that's kind of an indication of where I was. Yeah. You know, lawless country in for that sure. part. And did that sort of, Turn you, continue to kind of turn you away from maybe going to some of those points that are those left points that are down in Michoacan. Uh, no, the or, next morning I drove down to the beach. Oh, good. And um, so like Tikla or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, right in that yeah. that region. And um, so no Pasquales. You didn't feel like going to that. I hit Pasquales on the way back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, anyway, yeah, I didn't. I didn't go. I surfed it on the way back. Right, right. But. Um, Anyway, I I made it down to the coast. It was a remarkably beautiful drive because you go from the mountains where it's like pine trees, and you drop down into the into the desert. Then you go to the jungle, and it's just like three layers. It's just it was so beautiful, and you know where they they put this dam in that killed the wave at Petacalco. Yeah, is I I served Petacalco in the seventies. Yeah, and um, but it made this huge lake. Oh my gosh, this giant lake, and we dro- I drove along that lake, and it was just it was so neat. Cool, it was beautiful. Cool. I checked it. I got down there. I found this cool little pl- cabana overlooking this left point break, and just like surf for a, I don't know a couple of weeks. Cool. Yeah, it was really neat. That sounds great. 
Yeah, it was so awesome. You're, so you're back in the water after a kind of a long drive, and yeah, and and you're getting good. How big were the waves down in Michoacan? Oh, six to eight feet. So you're just psyching, right? Because you now you've got your your arm back. I mean, you've got your wind back. You've got your mojo back. Yeah, the waves are pumping. Water's warm. You're in a happy place. Yeah, yeah. stoked. Yeah. yeah, I was surfing and and uh, this little restaurant where I was staying at. The cartels were kind of around that area, and. Um, you know, we would see them at the restaurant, yeah. you know, the guys who come in with their guns. But they, you know, they own a lot of the businesses that the tourists go to. And they don't, they're not going to mess with the tourists. Yeah. And, uh, but, it, you know, it's just part of the scene down there. Yeah. Um, but the waves are amazing. And, and you, you know. You felt relatively safe just because you were just cruising and you were just a mellow guy and you were just there to catch waves. And you yeah, I, I felt safe. But, you know, I was warned not to go through Guerrero, which is I south do. of there. Uh, by this guy, Jorge, that is uh, uh, gringo, that has spent a lot of time down there. Uh-huh. And he goes, yeah, you don't want to drive down there. They'll, they block the road. They might hold you up. And right. I was like, okay, this guy spent a lot of time down here. I'll take his uh, his advice. So I went back up to the Carretera, you know, up back to Morelia and drove drove around. The Carretera goes around Mexico City and drops down into Veracruz. And then I dropped down into Oaxaca. And I surfed some more of those, uh, the southern points in Mexico. Yeah. I stayed there for a nice month or so surfing some of those amazing waves. I think you've surfed down there. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Super, super fun. And it sounds like you were right at the right time of year, too, like early season. So the sand is really good. So much surf. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was something else. So how's your surfing going at this point? Are you, I mean, you're surfing a lot. You must be getting kind of tuckered out a little bit or... Yeah, I mean, right. I was I was at the peak of my game for sixty three. Yeah, you know, I didn't oh. go into Puerto Escondido because yeah. I knew it was a little more than I wanted to tackle. Yeah, because I had surfed that in the eighties when yeah. the uh, article on Surfer first came out. My brother and I flew straight down there, yeah. and we made a bunch of trips to Puerto back in the eighties. Yeah. And I knew, you know, I knew that place would slam me on the bottom, yeah. and that's the last thing I wanted was to get slammed on the bottom by. Yeah, you know, those yeah. big barrels. Yeah. So I just kept heading south. I went down to those points and um, found some really great surf down there. So you're there. down in Selena Cruz. Selena Cruz. All those, all, those, all those little fun little spots down Yeah, there. that was cool. Now, did you get hassled at all by – by? because I know they're, they're not real hip to just you showing up with your – some gringo showing up in his car and camping at their spots. They've got some, like, little resort sort of like – they've got their own little hooey mafia down there that – if you you know don't respect the fact that they're the ones that are sort of the gatekeepers, they might hassle you a bit. Did you run into any of that? Oh yeah. Oh really? Oh yeah. Uh, what happened? Well, there was uh, you know we surfing most of those spots around there, and it was really uneventful. It wasn't huge, yeah. but there was this big swell coming in, and so I went down to uh, Punta Escondida. Yeah. Have you heard of that place? Yeah. yeah. Punta Escondida. Yeah. That's their spot. Right. That's exactly. their spot. Exactly. I mean, they, tourists come in from all over the world to surf that spot, and they pay big bucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, here comes Miguel just bopping in there in his old Toyota, and it's like, oh, yeah, this looks pretty cool. And, uh, man, they let me know in no uncertain terms to get the hell out of there. Okay. And as it, uh, as it turned out, they had um, – you know, other guys, they would put rocks in their windshield and threaten them. And, then, you know, they threatened me like they're going to kill me and beat the shit, you know, beat me up and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, I just think that they're, 
you know, there could be other ways to handle it. You know, maybe like they could, could charge me or charge somebody yeah. or something like that. But this violence, this threat of violence, I think they're going about it all wrong. I mean, they have a, an amazing resource. You know, so I left there and I went and I served Punta Esc- uh, Conejo. Yeah. And no, they, nobody was there. They were all at Punta Escondida. Yeah. It was still going off. Yeah. Nobody there. There was. It was just like, cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I had had a guide. I had hired a guide. Oh. But he was from La Bamba. Oh. Instead of Selena Cruz. Yeah. And the guide goes, oh, don't worry, you know. And um, you got to hire a work. guide from their little town. Right. And, you know, yeah. it was so political. It was just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So after about a month there, and, and I took off and went down to uh, El Salvador. When you cross the border from Mexico into Guatemala, which is the next right. country, do you notice anything? Are you noticing that, um, like, the political situation or the social situation or the economic situation of the local people? Like, is there a, a stark contrast or does it just feel like you're in another, or, well, now you're in the first Central American nation state? And Well, Guatemala was a little sketchy for me. I arrived there at night at the border. And while I was waiting for the uh, lady to inspect my vehicle, I got surrounded by a bunch of uh, transadores. Those are the guys that people that are crossing the border, they'll hire them to help them with the paperwork to go through all the offices. Because every one of these border crossings has a tremendous amount of red tape. Right. Unless you know exactly where to go and what to do and what to get snapped, who to pay, where to go next, it's, it's really hard. You know, and I'm, you know, I speak Spanish, but I'm not fluent by any means. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was, I was in the waiting area waiting for this lady to come look at my, at my truck. And I got surrounded by about 10 of these transidors in the back. My tailgate was open. And all of a sudden, you know, they start reaching in and grabbing stuff. And and I'm, like, super nervous, just super less like, oh, man, this isn't good, you Is know. This maybe the first really kind of sketchy, uncomfortable time for you? Yeah, or? I got really, really, really nervous. And I closed the tailgate, and they all backed off. And, you know, but they took my cooler and took – they took like my, my English Spanish dictionary and yeah. you know just stupid yeah. stuff. Nothing of any consequence or value really. Yeah. But I mean, it intimidated me. Yeah. And um, you know, I was I wanted to go cruise around Guatemala, but after that experience, I only I t- t- it took me two days to drive through Guatemala. I just drove right through it. Yeah. I just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. I, the roads are really bad in Guatemala. Uh-huh. Really, really bad roads. So you did notice then that there was like a difference between Mexico and Guatemala as far as oh yeah, obviously the the terrain because the roads are bad, but the the whole vibe. Would you say that the vibe was way different than Mexico? Like you know, you made a note of a difference. Well, during my whole journey to the tip of South America, every two or three hundred miles, they speak different dialects. You come up against different types of people that inhabit these regions, and a lot of these regions in Latin America. People haven't left that little region ever, Yeah. ever. Like you'll say, well, how long does it get, take to get from here to like a couple hundred miles down the road? And they'll go, oh, 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, they have no idea. They've never left their little village. That's you know, so I mean, Guatemala was, was, I just blew through it. There was yeah. no place that I knew of to surf there. I didn't really want to explore after that experience at the border. Yeah. So I headed down to El Salvador. And crossing the border from Guatemala to El Salvador, 
similar bureaucracy, similar red tape, but was there a sigh of relief that once you crossed the border? Or Not really. I mean, all this MS-13 stuff and and hearing about all these guys, you know, I was kind of freaked out. And I hired one of the transferors to help me with all the paperwork there. Yeah. This guy, Chewy, I think it was Chewy or something like that. we become friends on Facebook. He was really cool. He, You know, I, I think I paid him uh, 20 bucks or $40, and he went through all this stuff for a couple hours, all this red tape stuff and helped me. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of nerve-wracking going in, into El Salvador. Yeah. But um, what was your plan after you got your bureaucracy taken care of? Was your plan just go to Libertad or go to – just go surf. Like, was your whole thing like, I'm just going to find a beach to camp on? Or were you like, I need to go get to a hotel and kind of figure out what my next plan of attack is? This trip was all about the surf. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of cultural, tur- you know, surf travel and stuff like that. But it was all about catching the next well for yeah. me. Yeah. I was so stoked on surfing. So I went to Sunsal Point. Zunzal, yeah. Zunzal. Yeah. And there was a little uh, hostel there, mm-hmm. and I could camp there. They let me camp in their grounds there. And, you know, it was cheap. I could camp there. They had water and yeah. and stuff like that. And it, it was all fenced in, and I could walk to the surf. So I hung out there for a while. And the waves were okay. Yeah. It wasn't uh, super good, but, it, you know. Zunzal. Sunsong. Yeah, it's kind of like Swami's a little bit. It's huh? a lot like Swami. It's yeah. not, yeah. It was fun. You've been there? I've never surfed Zunzal, but I've been to El Salvador a few times, yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that it's, I've heard that Zunzal, I've heard it described as like Swami's. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. And I felt safe. I got accustomed to the people there. And, you know, I figured out MS-13 isn't walking around every corner. They're not around every corner. And, you know, it's like, I know there's some bad people down here, but I didn't run into any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody bothered me. Yeah. I'm like this old gringo cruising through and nobody, nobody bothered me. I had... Yeah. I had so little trouble. Those guys stealing the stuff out of the back of my truck was like the biggest thing that happened to me on this whole journey. Yeah, that's my point. I mean, I feel like besides your blue eyes, you're just going to fit right in. You kind of slide right into the flow of things. It's not like you're in a flashy truck. Your truck's dirty and it's, you know, it's not a 2019, you know. Oh, yeah. So you kind of, I think that that's a good way for people to do it is to just flow in under the radar, obviously, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, if you had a $100,000 rig in there, you'd be a target. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my old truck, I mean, I kept a money belt with $1,000 in it, yeah. and I kept my passport in my pocket at all times, yeah. unless I was surfing. And um, I figured if I got in a wreck, or if I got held up, or if something weird happened, I could walk away from everything. Yeah. Just don't hurt me. Right. You know, I have enough money to get a plane ticket back home. Yeah. Just get to the nearest, you know, or a bus or whatever just to get out of that region. And so I was prepared at all times to just bail and leave everything behind. But I never had to. I never had to. But I was ready. You know, I was ready at all times. You know, a lot of the the surf culture, you know, they smoke pot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't. Yeah. And I don't drink. And I'm like. Totally aware of my surroundings at all times. Yeah. I'm completely, I'm completely like engaged, engaged in my surroundings. I, yeah. I know what's going on at all times. Rarely am, I mean, I'm never like unaware of what's happening. Yeah. And so I think that added a lot to my safety. Yeah. Yeah. I think sure. if you were, if you were going down there and you were doing drugs and, and wrapped up in the drug culture and all that, I think that would be a really bad idea. 
And I noticed too that um, because we're friends that you would post stuff onto Facebook somehow. Did you have like a cell phone down there? Did you have a computer or how, how did that, or maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Was, yeah, I have a, an iPhone. Yeah, okay. And I was on Facebook and there was, you know, internet uh, at all the little hostels and a lot of the campgrounds. Yeah. And I take photos and post them along the way. And I, a lot of my friends are, seemed to really enjoy my postings. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Okay. You know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I really wasn't much of a Facebook guy till then. And then I, I started doing, you know, putting these uh, pictures up and everybody would love it. You know? We were stoked. We were it, super stoked. It was we're, neat. We were living vicariously through your trip. And frankly, I was amazed. I was like, wow, Mike's just going for it, man. It's pretty yeah. cool. From Zunes All, did you serve La Libertad? No. Okay. And did you consider going into those eastern spots down there? Um, oh, yeah. That's where I went. Okay. So That's where I spent most point, of my... Uh, Mango. Punta Mango. Punta Mango. And... Yeah, I camped there for a while. Did they let you camp there? Or was... I know there's some Brazilian surf camps there. There's a couple surf camps there. Well, was there it? was a camp up on the hill. Uh, mm. This lady, Christina, runs this like little place where she cooks pizzas and food. And oh, okay. There's like a little camp there, and they have some cabanas, and it's like a 10-minute walk down to the break. And uh, that was pretty cool. I liked it there. It felt pretty safe. Yeah. And I stayed there for a long time and just, oh, man, I love that spot. I got the deepest barrel of my trip there. Yeah. I got really shocked. It was fun. Mango, is that the one that's just up from the main break? Because I surfed there twice, but I'm getting a – It's up from Las Flores. Okay, yeah, Las Flores and then – so there's that house above Las Flores, which I think is a surf camp. And then Mango is like really good lowers. It's like a rock cobble point that yeah. has a full tube section. A full barrel yeah. on the takeoff. Really yeah. good. That's where that Wayne Lynch worked well. Yeah. It worked good there. All my boards worked good there. I tried I tried the the longer board. I tried my little fish. They all worked good there depending on how big it was. But these swells would come in and, um, you know, the Brazilians, they, they bring – I mean, in the morning, these they would come in with boatloads of these Brazilians. Yeah. There'd be a whole bunch of guys out, and um, then they'd leave. Yeah, then it'd be all to me and the other guys that are hanging out there, and we'd have it all to ourselves, or not to ourselves. The place is kind of busy, but I mean, it was so worth it. The waves yeah. were so good. So, like ten or twelve guys, and then the Brazilians would show up in a boat from their camp. And yeah, there'd be twenty-five guys and or more. Yeah, or more, and then it would get back to like eight to twelve guys. Maybe a little onshore texture by this point in the afternoon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so it would get a little busy. Yeah. But, you know, when you're staying right there, you can catch the evening. You, know, you just sure. catch the sessions. And I don't know. You know, I know that I'm a visitor in these places. Yeah. And uh, I never got upset about the crowds. You know, yeah. sometimes it would get a little busy. But I just, I mean, I come from Encinitas, surfing swamis a lot, where it's super crowded. I just know that eventually I'll get a wave. A wave will come to me. Yeah. And I just, crowds, I just don't. Yeah, I don't get worked up over it. Got a good attitude about it. Yeah. Yeah. So so you hang out in a really cool place, which is that Mango Las Flores area for a ten days or a couple of weeks or whatever it yeah. is. And it, and again it's 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 your MO to sort of like be okay, time to move on. You just intuitively know, you know what, I've I've done this, let's go. And so what's your next thought? And El okay, Salvador so- to Colombia? Or no, no. no. Well, we had to Costa go Costa Rica. I'm sorry. We, well, we wanted to, we had to go to Costa Rica. Right. But first, we had to go through Honduras and Nicaragua. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. My, and my, so, I apologize. My geography is not the. That's all right. At the time, there was a civil war going on in in uh, Nicaragua. The, yeah. Essentially, it, what it reminded me of is in the '60s when the young people were um, protesting the Vietnam War. So I remember that. 
I remember when the young hippies, I mean, I was I was pretty young back then, but they were protesting the Vietnam War. And the government was all like, you know, against the young people and all this stuff. But in America, except for the Kent State event where the, you know, they killed four people, yeah. our government didn't didn't shoot the protesters. In Nicaragua, they do. I mean, before we had crossed the border, they had already killed 350 protesters. Holy shit. And there's only two roads that go through Nicaragua. There's the road that goes on the west side of the lakes and the road that goes on the east side of the lakes. And I had met this, and we, we started watching the Tico Times and the Havana Times on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, uh, we found out that there was a break in the violence. There was supposed to be a little ceasefire, little ceasefire yeah. type thing, you know. And so we thought, well, I met this. I caravaned with this couple from Australia, this guy Harry. There was their 20s. Where did so, you meet them? I met him in uh, Oaxaca, uh-huh, right. and we caravaned together, uh-huh. and we were in uh, we were at Punta Mango, and we were like, we, we wanted, you know, we we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to end our trip because mm-hmm. of this? Oh. Or are we going to go for it? Mm-hmm. And so then we, well, let's just watch this. Let's just watch the situation. We saw this little, little break in the violence, and we said, let's go for it. So we packed up the next morning and, and drove through Honduras. It took us a couple of days to get, it took us like four days to drive through El Salvador, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Yeah. And so um, the story that I wanted to share with you is um, when I drove, when I crossed the border from um, Honduras to Nicaragua, there's a, um, we went, we decided to go on the East Road because that's where none of the big cities are. And the big cities of Leon and Managua are on the, the West Road. And we thought we'd avoid the violence. Uh, so we go on the East Road, and I get a couple of gas cans. I fill them with gas because I thought, you know, if this place is under, you know, in this situation, I'll need extra gas. And uh, there was also this other couple that was kind of on the same li- um, time frame as us, this French couple. So we all pull up at the, uh, the border of Honduras at the same time, the border of Honduras and uh, Nicaragua together in the morning. The amount of paperwork and red tape in Honduras took me five hours to get through it. Five hours of get this stamped, wait for this guy to look at this, go over here and have this done, blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, they told me that I couldn't bring the gas into the country. I'm like, okay. So I take the gas cans out of my truck. I go, where, I go, where do you want them? And they go, in the warehouse. So I take them over to the warehouse, stick them in the warehouse. Those are the rules, right? I'm not going to argue with you. The French guy, he had two five-gallon gas cans. And he completely had a meltdown. He had this really angry posture towards these guys. He was ranting and raving and just really mad, yeah. you know, really, really upset. Yeah. And, um, and you know, before we had gone into Nicaragua, we bought a bunch of cigarettes and waters and sodas and chips and all this stuff because we heard that there were roadblocks throughout Nicaragua. And it's best to, you know, give the people that are giving the roadblocks cigarettes or water or sodas or whatever to kind of put them at ease, make friends with them. This French guy just had a meltdown, right? So he... Uh, Do you feel like you're attached to him at this point? Or are no, you trying- no. We're separate from okay. him. Right. He arrived before us, but I watched his behavior. I was just like, you're lucky if you don't get arrested. What are you doing? To, you know, the border of Honduras and Nicaragua, and you're acting like this? Are you kidding me? So anyway, he... Uh, you know, he ends up leaving completely out of his mind and mad. And then after five hours, you know, when you got, say he left. What do you mean? He had to turn around and go back? No, he, they let him through. They let him through. He got all his paperwork done. They let him through. Hmm. 
after you know we get done with all our paperwork, the guy brings me over to the warehouse and gives me my gas cans back. <laughs> he gives me my gas back. Oh, and I was just like blown away. Did the he, French guy have to leave his gas? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So he gives me my gas cans back. And so that's when I realized, you know, that attitude is the difference between an adventure and an ordeal. Okay. It's all in your attitude. If you're going to have an adventure or you're going to just have an ordeal. Yeah. Like to the French guy, it was an ordeal. To me, it was just kind of cool. I just hung out there all day and talked to these Honduras people, you know, people from Honduras and Nicaragua and it was yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And the East Road through was no big deal, right? Well, well no, it was. Oh, we okay. we hit 15 roadblocks. Okay. 15. Like, I mean, what do the roadblocks look like? Like um federal, like, federales like No, it's young people that have blocked the road off with like Oh, it's the protesters, the not protesters. the government. Okay. And so they stopped all the commercial traffic. All the oh. semis are stopped for like miles. I know. The truck drivers just pissed because they got work to do, or they're just. I don't um, think anybody was pissed. They're just standing there. Just they just realized this is. Nobody seemed mad. Okay. So we just bypassed. I mean, it was like a two mile line. We the first the first roadblock we come into, we bypassed. The, we went right up to the front of the line. How. And, on the in the left lane. Oh, okay. You just drove right the, up to it. Yeah, we drove right up to it. We were, bypassed were all people the people. Mad that you were passing them? Or I don't know. Like, I didn't, oh, we just oh. we just went by them all. It's yeah. like let's go to the front of the line, see what see, see what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. So we get up there, and there's a full on protest. It was so much like the Vietnam War. There's a stage, and the guys up there, blah, 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 you know, talking, and they have like the. You know, fireworks. When I first heard the fireworks, I thought there was gunfire. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? I come to find out they're like fireworks. And and um, Do you understand what they're saying, what they're actually saying? No. Yeah. I mean, I can get along, but I can't understand a real yeah. rapid Spanish. Yeah. And then as soon as they got done with their their um, their speech and their music, they, were, they had a band up there. They were playing music. It was a trip. Yeah. They let us through. First people through. First. They let us through. <laughs> Boom. And we put a sign up and through the wind, the windshield that said Turista. Oh, good for you. Yeah, we're, tur- right. we're tourists. Yeah. We're not part of this conflict. Right. Boom. 15 roadblocks. Exact same thing. They let us through every single one of them. Oh, that's cool. You and know, we'd pass out cigarettes yeah, and all this stuff. And, and um, you know, it was all attitude. Yeah. And once again, that attitude. We were, the, the Australians were super cool. I was super cool. We were just like, yeah, whatever, you know. And... Um, you know, made it all the way. It took us two days, and we made it to, uh, you know, to Costa Rica. And it was kind of hair raising. You know, yeah. fifteen. It was hair raising. It was, it was kind of sketchy. But they did have gas down there. Yeah. You know, they, he, they told me they had gas. So. And obviously, if you're picking the East Road, you're just bypassing the idea of surfing in Nicaragua at this point in time. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah at the time, I mean, that was an option. Yeah. Right. You're like, let's just get to Costa Rica. I wanted to get to Costa Rica. I didn't want to end my trip. I had a long way to go. So in Costa Rica, um, I imagine you got some super fun waves. Now we're in the middle of summer and and it's on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pam flew down and met me in Costa Rica. And we spent a bunch of time. We went all through. That country alone, would you could spend a couple months just driving around. It's such a trippy coastline. It's so disjointed. Yeah, I went on both coasts. You know, up yeah. and down, all through the, all over the place. Yeah, Limon, and and then over to the west side, and all of yeah. that. Yeah, Antigua or Puerto Viejo, the southern part. Yeah, yeah. And all the way up, and and it, it was rainy season. It was raining. It was raining so much. It was insane. Yeah. But uh, 
anyway, it was it was really cool. And then, uh, you know, I got to Southern Costa Rica, and that's when I caught the really good surf. Uh-huh, and those, are, those left points down there? Yeah. That, that one left point? Yeah, Pavones. Uh, Pavones, thank you. It was you. just yeah. friggin'. Yeah, I was there for, I, I stayed there, and my boards weren't cutting it. So I, I drove up to Jocko Beach, got looked for another board, found a board that I thought would work there. I went back down, because I, when I first got there, it was about eight foot, and it was just firing. Fast. It's so fast. That wave is so fast. It's so perfect. And I was just getting clobbered. Yeah. And I was, these boards just suck, you know? Yeah. I was like, so I went up to Jocko Beach. I found a board. I go, this will work. It was like a, quad, a rusty quad. Yeah. And I and I go, this will work. And I knew it would. And I got down there, and sure enough, and I was making those sections. And, and I as I, I wasn't going to let that wave beat me. Right on. I go, I'm not going to let this wave beat me. I was just like, I just, I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to leave here with the tail, my tail between my legs. I'm going to conquer this wave. And so, you know, I found this new board. I went back. And, you know, I mean, you know, like, it's a long way. Oh, it's yeah. Not, yeah. I mean, it's a long way. to. Yeah, but the, I didn't have any time frame. I just I was so focused on making that wave, figuring this wave out. It became like the main purpose of my life was to <laughs> figure this wave out. Good for <laughs> and, you. That's great. So I went back and then I conquered the wave and I was like having a good time and and then uh, you know and the swell died and I was out of there. Went down to Panama, hung out in Panama for a while and then I went to Panama City and. Yeah, you know the waves in Panama. The swell had died; it was wasn't really happening. And I was anxious to cross the um, the Darien Gap over to Colombia. What's the Darien Gap like? What is that? What is well, the, the Pan American Highway stops, right. and you can't drive straight to South America. It's like swampland, right? And it's like where a lot of the drug runners, a lot of the you know, it's just not a good. You can't drive through it. Right. So what you do is you put your truck on a in a shipping container. You hire a company to ship it to Cartagena, Colombia. Is Cartagena you, on the west coast? Cartagena is on the northeast coast. Okay, so you're in the Caribbean side. You're in the Caribbean side. Right. So it's uh, you hire an and agent. That's your only option. Yeah. To get a truck over there. Yeah. Okay. It costs you know it costs a lot of money. You know yeah. you'll spend a couple grand doing that. Yeah. All said and done, you know. Yeah. And um, you know I met this guy there that was sharing a container with me, Amilcar. He was a, a guy from Venezuela who had immigrated to Canada. And, uh, you know, he was fluent, obviously, in Spanish. And he, if it hadn't been for him, I'd still be there. <laughs> because, of, you know, all the red tape you got to go through for all the stuff was, like, overwhelming. Yeah. And I just, I, we became fast friends, and it was really neat. That's cool. He took care of you. He helped you a lot, guided you through the process. Totally, totally. And so... Do you go with the shipping container to Cartagena, or do you fly to Cartagena? Or? You fly to Cartagena and wait. Yeah. And so I was in Cartagena for a week in the walled city. It's like a 500-year-old city. It's like where the Spanish would – it's like a walled city, and they had cannons where it was like the where the, the launching point where they would send their gold back to Spain after they, uh-huh. you know, took it from all the, you know, people in South America. Whatever, yeah. And so it's really historic, beautiful, beautiful city. Just so neat. Oh, so beautiful. That sounds killer. I was there like a week, just hanging out, walking around. It was so cool. Just old, old kind of like European style, almost like. Yeah, like it was so neat. Yeah, I loved it. Cartagena. And then, did you feel safe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I met people there. You know. And were you with your Venezuelan friend too? Yeah, he was there. Yeah. He was there, and some other people were there. That we had, we all kind of shipped our cars together. Yeah. We all got to know each other. These guys from uh, Argentina, and New Zealand, and Australia, 
I guess, you know, people from all over the world. Right. It was so remarkable. And we were all had a sense of adventure. And Were you were you picking up, like, State Department um, suggestions as you went through each country? Or were you just kind of, like, flying it's, blind? It's funny you ask that because my friend Jeff Timpson put me in touch with a guy that works in the state for the State Department down in uh, in Columbia. And so I called him. And I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Jeff told me about you. And we became fast friends. He's a hardcore surfer. And and he's like, okay, well, you don't want to go here. And you don't want to go here. And you want to just get over here. Uh You know, he kind of told me what to do. Right, right, right. And, uh, you know. Because the west coast of Columbia is a little bit sketchy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, man. That's where all the drugs, you know, they ship all the drugs out of the Kali. Kali. Yeah. Yeah, I forget the northern part but i wanted to go up there i was thinking i was going to go up there and check it out and he's like no you just keep going okay just keep going south you know i I can take a hit and uh so you know i once i got my truck i drove i got back on the pan american highway and i drove and it took a long time and you're going through the andes mountains which are the most majestic steep rugged mountains i had no idea was it kind of spooky like, where am I going to stay? Like, I hope I can get somewhere before it gets dark, or are you just going to pull over to the side of the road? Anyway? You know, I, I, it was uh, one story that sticks out is I was, I see this fish market on the side of the road or a bunch of people selling fish, and I stop, and they have all these, like, giant catfish and all these crazy fish, and there's this giant river right by me, right? Yeah. Right there, this huge river. Like flowing, fast-flowing river. Big, yeah, just a big, giant river. Yeah. It's all muddy, and it's just like, oh, wow, I got to go fishing there. I have a fishing pole. I'm thinking all these fish. And they go, oh, cool, I'll go fishing, you know? And yeah. so I, I leave this little village, and, I, and there's this police stop on the outside of town. And these guys, uh, you know, these police are there, and, and I'm talking to the guy, and I go, and I go, uh, yeah, I want to go fishing. And he goes... He goes, no. He goes, he goes, we wear these bulletproof vests for a reason. He goes, you don't want to go fishing. This is where they run all the drugs down this river. Uh-huh. They'll take your truck and they'll kill you. Uh-huh. Okay. He, go, he goes, just keep going to Medellin. Just keep driving. Don't stop. Just keep going. Yeah. And I could take a hint. Right. You know, I was like, got it. No problem. Not, not stopping to go fishing. Right. It was funny. So, so. You get to Medellin, and um, that's sort of a beautiful city in its own right, right? And, and But also known as sort of a – it has some drug lore, so to speak. Yeah, oh, yeah. That whole region is kind of gnarly. I had a guy stab my tire trying to get me to, uh, you know, Start, pull over. Yeah. Yeah. He pulled upon a motorcycle and stabbed my tire, and then I pulled over, and there was like this cut in my tire, and I could just tell it was like a sketchy situation, yeah. and so I just kept going. And then I found another, um, you know, tire place, and and they fixed it. Yeah. But um, that sounds kind of gnarly. Yeah, it was. I don't know. It wasn't any big deal. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was just par for the course at this point. You're... He wanted to get business for his tire shop guy. Oh, I see. That's what it was all about. Oh, I see. Yeah, it was a and racket. I, right. It was like a racket, yeah. and and he saw me coming. He, you know. But are I your was, boards on top of your truck the whole trip, or are your yeah. boards stashed inside? No, they were on top. Okay. I have I have this like locking cable, yeah, with a key. Yeah, they worked great. I mean, yeah. super good. I forget what they're called, but it worked really well. Are you trying to surf in Columbia, or are you like, let's just get down further? Well, you know, I was watching Surfline the whole time, and there was a swell that was predicted for Peru or predicted along the West Coast, a big swell. And I had, you know, I cruised, I was in Colombia and fooling around in Panama City and all that for several weeks, you know. You needed to get wet. 
Yeah, I was just like ready to get to the beach, yeah. you know. And uh, so I still had to get through Ecuador, and I was going to go check out the surf in Ecuador. And uh, okay, another at the border of Ecuador in Colombia on the on the drive through Colombia, I kept seeing all these people walking along the road in the middle of nowhere in the Andes Mountains, and I'd see people on the backs of like trucks, big semis, you know, hanging on. And I come to realize that they're Venezuelan refugees. All the people that are fle- that are fleeing Venezuela because of the economic situation down there. Yeah. And uh, in fact, at one stop, people gave me Venezuelan money for just a few, for like a dollar. I gave them a I gave them a few pesos, and they gave me like a stack of Venezuelan money. It's worthless. Exactly. These people are fleeing the the economic you know tragedy that's going on in Venezuela. So I'm at the border of Ecuador and Venezuela. You know, and here I'm like 63, and I'm you know, I've got my truck, I've got this money, I've got, I can fly home anytime to my cool house in Sanitas. And I'm in this line, like with hundreds of Venezuelan refugees, hundreds and hundreds. Red Cross is there, UNICEF is there, it's a humanitarian crisis. And I'm in line waiting to go through all the, you know, get stuff stamped and get through these different borders. And I'm in between these two guys that are like my age, these these older guys. Yeah. And they each have like a little bag with everything they own in it. Like yeah. everything, they left their country. And I'm talking to them, they're going, yeah, the country's so corrupt, we need to leave to find work in another third world country in Ecuador or Peru or Chile. They're going to another third world country yeah. to find work. Yeah, that's hard. That's just, yeah. That's and I'm just like counting my lucky stars. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I am so lucky. Super blessed. Huh? So grateful and yeah. so lucky. And I have, that's never left me. Yeah. Just the gratitude, it was eye-opening. Is that, is that like when you think about your trip and, you know, as you look back on it now, it's been a year. I came home last January. Yeah, so it'll be a year. So when you look back on it a year removed, is, is that one of the, like, sort of the overriding themes of your trip is just, is just gratitude? Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was it eye-opening? Because you've traveled a bunch. I mean, you've been, you've seen a lot. Was there an extra level of of the onion peeling back, and you're just like, wow, this is this? Yeah. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like in one region in uh, Peru, I kept seeing all these people with like amputated hands or or arms or feet or legs, where they have amputations. You mean like one little village? This is a whole region. A whole region, a whole zone. You know. Yeah. And I was like, God, this is weird. You know, what's going on around here? You know, and I was mm. like, and um, I just had shoulder surgery. I'm talking to my surgeon. And I said, Yeah, you know, I don't know what's going on, but he goes, Oh yeah, down there, they you get a compound fracture. They amputate your, you know, your limb because they don't know how to set it or fix it. Yeah, that's just what they do here. They'll fix it. They'll put rods in it or set it or whatever they got to do to fix it. Yeah. And we don't. We rarely see people with amputations around here. Yeah. And I'm just like. Oh, my God. Wow. You know, and then, you know, in Chile, I met this guy whose sister, you know, had cancer. And, he, and he's explaining to me how, you know, in Chile, unless you're the 1% where you can fly to the U.S. and get the medicine that you need, you die. You don't get that. They just, you just can't go to the drugstore and buy all those chemotherapy drugs yeah. or go to the clinic and get treated. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're so lucky. Yeah. I mean, I'm so fortunate, you know. Like, so it sounds like it, it would be ideal. It would be an ideal situation for all of us on some level to take a trip like this so that we can sort of have our eyes open to sort of how really it's not so bad. 
here in North America. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first eye opener was in uh, Nicaragua, where you know our our uh, our government may not be what everybody likes, but at least we're not shooting. The government's not killing the, its own people. Yeah. You know right. that was a mind blower to me. Yeah. You know, and then the medical care. You know, I was in Santiago, Chile for a long time, and I was right next to their hospital. It's just this like little clinic. Yeah. It's the main. It's the main hospital for this huge city with millions of people in it. You know, I yeah. mean, we have it made in the United States, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. As far as medical care and the way our government runs, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I feel I'm super grateful. I know you got some great waves in in Chile and in Peru, right? Because I saw pictures of these left oh, points yeah. that you were surfing, and you were like. It yeah. felt like from your Facebook stuff that you were like, okay, I'm not leaving. <laughs> this is pretty good. Yeah, so I went to Peru, and there was this one spot that I had researched before I went on, Pacasmayo, I'll just say. It's this yeah. huge point. It's a left point. And uh, there's a YouTube video of this guy riding this wave for, like, ever. And I was like, I'm going there. And so I was in Colombia, and I was watching Surfline, and it's like, oh, there's this huge swell hit. And I like big waves, you yeah. know, and so I was like, I drove, like, for 10 days to get there. Wow. It was crazy. I mean, I drove and drove and drove. And, you know, you you drive two or 300 miles through the Andes Mountains. I mean, that's a long way because yeah. it's so slow. Oh, yeah. And it's just like all the – it's just slow. and Switchbacks and 30 you know, miles And then an you got to stop, yeah, you know. And, an yeah. It's, yeah. It was, and then, you know, Ecuador. And I get through Ecuador and, and uh, I get into Peru. And I drive along. I see this tiki surf house. And I, I go, oh, perfect. That's just, it's by Mancora, which is, Man, Mancora is like right, northern Peru. Yeah. And it's a great little surf town. Yeah. And uh, this guy's got this little house, and I pull in there, and there's this guy, Jose Nue, and his girlfriend, Barbara. And they run this little, like, little uh, hostel, this cool house he built. Yeah. And uh, I hung out there for a while. He'd take me surfing every day, introduce me to, like, you know, Cabo Blanco, Panic Point, um, Lobitos, Piscina, all these, all these northern points, Mancora, and yeah. we surfed all these places. And uh, you know, I've got like my own guide, and the and he's this young guy. He's like twenty seven, I think he was. This young guy, he's just super cool. And it was my birthday. It was at that time. It was September eighteenth. Was my birthday, and I was turning sixty four. Yeah. And they sang me, I have a video, and they sang me happy birthday. Oh, yeah. And they called me Surfer Father. <laughs> they loved me. Surfeo Padre? Surfer Father. Well, yeah. he knew English. You know, oh, yeah, so he yeah. goes, Surfer Father, you know. <laughs> we wish our father was like you. You're Surfer Father, you know. And they loved me. That's and fun. we'd go surfing, and it was just, oh, it was so cool. So we were at Cabo Blanco. And Cabo Blanco, are you familiar with Cabo Blanco? Not really, no. I mean, I've heard the name. I couldn't, I want to say it's a right. Yeah, it's a left. Oh, see, it's, a barreling, <laughs> it's a barreling left point. There's there's panic point in Cabo Blanco. There's right. barreling lefts. We pull up, it's like eight foot barreling offshore, and all the best guys in northern Peru are out there, and it's just barreling. I mean, just like going off. And I sat it out. I was like, yeah, no, I'll just watch, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and these guys were just like Ripping. going for it, just That's getting, cool. you know, full deep barrels. It was pretty amazing. But anyway, Cabo Blanco is where Ernest Hemingway lived. He built a house there. Oh, interesting. And there's all the, the little restaurants. There's all these pictures of Ernest Hemingway. And that's where he wrote The Old Man in the Sea. Wow. And so I went to his house. Cool. And it's abandoned. I mean, there's, I think there's some Peruvian guy living in the back or something, but it, there's like a pool, and it's, you can see 
Do they yeah. do they like um, promote it as like a tourist no. destination, or somebody just goes, "That's his house," and you just went? No, there? Jose and our driver he goes, "Oh, there's Ernest Hemingway's house." I go, "What? Now take me up there!" And so we drive up there, and and we go, and I'm looking at his house. I'm standing there. I'm overlooking the vast Southern Ocean. Right, the vast okay. southern Pacific Ocean. You can see the swells rolling in, and you can see the fishing boats out. It was just like, oh, my gosh, I could put myself back to when he wrote the book, The Old Man of the Sea. Yeah. And you could just think back on him sitting up there smoking a cigar, writing, and, and you can see the little sailboats and the, these guys rowing. They're fishing now. Yeah. A lot of the guys are fishing like they did there. They row out and sail back in. It was just it Very was cool. really cool. That sounds neat. Very cool. That was really remarkable. Yeah. And so then you're hanging out in Peru. and um... Quick break to tell you about Monkey Surf Resort. The newly built Monkey's Resort is a luxury Tello Island surf resort in Sumatra, Indonesia, providing better access to premier Tello Island waves. Monkey'sResort.com. I'm going to be going there this summer. I'm excited. Monkey's Resort in the Tello Islands. Killer waves. Beautiful accommodations. Monkeysresort.com. Do you make your way down to Chile? Well, yeah. So I, I went to this place, Pocket Smile, and I hung out oh, there yeah. for a long time. Yeah. This, it was, that was really neat. Really, the surf was so, the southern oceans generate these swells that we get up here. Yeah. And then they descend on those points down there and then just, Rope. just, just. It was so insane, and I'm going. I'm going. There's like this huge swell. It was like a ten foot swell, and this guy goes, "You want uh, you want to hire the boat driver for the day?" And I'm like, "Yeah, okay." I didn't know. I just got there, and so the next day, I go down to the beach, or he takes me down to the beach, and this guy's got this zodiac, and it's just pumping. So this guy in this zodiac, there's about a half dozen of us, and we just. He takes us out to the peak. We drop. We drops us off. We ride these waves. They're like a mile long, one after another, all day long. It was. It was insane. It was insane. That's just like a dream come true for it a sixty-four so cool. year old. You're like, dude, this is like shit I was thinking of when I was thirteen. Yeah, going. and it was like a deep water wave, and it wasn't like you know hairball coral reefs underneath me. Yeah, like an Indo. You know, yeah. it was like I never hit bottom, and it was you know it was a lot of power. Not a real barreling wave, just a big long wall. Yeah, it was really nice for me. It was perfect for me. I never got work too bad. You know, I was just like, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, and then there's the Chicama down the road. You know, it was like half the size. Yeah. It was just the way yeah. that you know I, I wanted to go to Chicama, but I was like, it's twice as big here. <laughs> so I just I just surfed there, and then when I split, I went down to Chicama, and it was like you know two or three feet, and I just kept going. You were over it, yeah. Then I picked up Pam in, in Lima. She flew down to Lima. Yeah. And we served Playa Hermosa, which is where Pico Alto is. Uh-huh. And there's all kinds of breaks around there. Yeah. And that was really fun. Really fun. I didn't serve Pico Alto. I, I wanted to. There was just, there was, it breaks way out at sea. There was nobody out. And it broke. And it's like, you know, yeah. I could surf it. I know I could I could ride that wave, but there's like nobody around and I was just Why isn't there anyone out there? <laughs> you know, and I and I didn't so I didn't I just surfed yeah. the local the little spots. There's a whole bunch of spots right there and just we stood we stayed there for like ten days. Rented a cabana cool. right on the this little oh it was so cool. It was yeah. so neat. We'd walk into the little town there and you know, eat and Did you ever go to any of the churches? And like like a a service, like a church service? Uh, Catholics. I imagine they're Catholic. Uh, no. I went in 
You know, part of the trip was uh, after we left northern Peru, we went into Cusco, which is where the Inca civilization lived. And uh, we went up there and touristed around. And the Spanish had built, on top of the Inca civilization, they built their giant, huge churches. And we took tours into some of those. It was pretty disgusting what they did to the Inca civilization. Right. You felt sort of... Yeah, it felt wrong to kind of like be. It, a, it was wrong. Yeah, but to be a tourist in in a Spanish church, it felt sort of. Well, it's past history, man. It's so it happened yeah. so long ago. I mean, I'm just an observer. It right. was it was fun to see. I mean, I, we all know generally, yeah, that Spain invaded and did horrible things. Was there any a tour? that explained all of that stuff or did you just kind of pick up on it through your own? Well, I had, you know, I had that, I bought that South American guidebook and yeah. we read about all these places we'd visit, yeah. but I'm not really a tour guy. Like yeah. I didn't go to Machu Picchu. You got to take a, a tour, yeah. Yeah, but there's so many ruins in that region that I could just drive up to these certain ruins or there's nobody out. It was just remarkable. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So I was just kind of so doing my own thing with Pam, and we just yeah. we had a blast. We had so much fun. And so now you're not. I mean, I imagine you're not. Are you thinking? Okay, I'm almost at the end of the road here. Even though you're turning around and driving all the way back. <laughs> so, well, I wasn't so. at the end of the road. I still had to go through Chile and Patagonia and Argentina. Yeah. And uh, we still had a long way to go. Yeah. So we, we stayed up in the mountains for a week or so. And then we'd had enough of that. Went down to the beach. Just got to get back in the water. And went down and uh, we were, went through the Atacama Desert. This, it's like the driest place on earth. Some places I don't think it's ever rained. Wow. It was, that was a remarkable adventure. And we toured along the coast. And I found this unbelievable sur- – well, I found this wave – and this guy, Jamie, and this wave right in front of his house just left. And it was, I stayed there for a while and surfed that wave every day. And there's a few local, you know, Chilean surfers. And it was just so bitching. That so cool. Incredible. And then we headed down, you know, the big, uh, the big goal was to go down to uh, Punta de Lobos. But anyway, yeah. we went down there to, uh, we went down there to Chile. And there's this, to Punta de Lobos. And there's this left. That, uh, you know, once again, these big Southern Ocean waves are, are descending on this left point. And uh, I rented this house right overlooking the break, like right overlooking the wave. That's there's sad. like, it's right next to the Patagonia, like, friggin' hotel, and there's a little shop, and like their, their place. Yeah. This house is right next to that. So I rent this place for a month. How much is it to rent? It was like 50 bucks, bucks a night. 50 bucks a night. Something like yeah. that. And then, I just figured, you know, so this is not like a three-bedroom house, like a gorgeous house, or a smaller little cabana. It was like actually three units. Uh-huh. You know, we had a kitchen, and it yeah. was it had this deck, and I could Chilly. sit there and you know watch these waves all day long and surf all day every day. And oh my God. in this town of Pichilemu, which reminded me of Encinitas like 50 years ago, it was so cool. It was the whole vibe down there was so similar to to North County a long time ago. It was oh. like a surf, a lot of surfers. And, like, they have this farmer's market on Saturdays where they block off the roads. And they have all these fresh fruits and vegetables that were super, like, you know, beautiful, really neat, really cool. Sounds and we insane. we loved it. We loved it there. And I was like, okay, I'm done. We're just going to stay here. <laughs> we're just going to stay here. I'm just going to surf. I don't want to go anywhere else. Yeah, you it, found it. You're yeah, like, I'm just this like. This is my Nirvana. Yeah, this is my Cape St. Francis. This is my other Cape St. Francis. <laughs> How many Cape St. Francis moments uh, did you have? I had like three, four of them. Yeah. You know, and and so we were there, and Pam goes, 
And wait a minute, where are you going to the tip of South America? I go, yeah, it was twenty one hundred miles, and and wow, and I don't, and I'm, I just, you know, I'm done. And she's like, you can't end your trip now, right? So she motivated you. Yeah, she's like, you can't. He said, we got to go. And so, yeah, you're right. And so I left my surfboards down there at the house, uh-huh. and we made a strike mission to Ushuaia, which is the tip of South America. Wow. And it took us, we drove, you know, three or 400 miles a day, and we all went through all of Patagonia and into Argentina and went all the way to the tip of South America, this little town called Ushuaia. We're at, you know, Tierra del Fuego. We crossed the Straits of Magellan on a ferry. You know, historic, the Straits of Magellan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, super historic waterway. You know, the the currents and the wind is just howling. And it's the summertime there, so it's not not all full of ice. It's yeah. it's nice, you know, yeah, or relative for there. Yeah. You know, it's like Still the Arctic. Cold. It's yeah. like being up near the Arctic Circle, but yeah. south, the Antarctic. Yeah. And so we get to Ushuaia, which is like the sta- the staging off point for um Antarctic expeditions. Yeah, for um, Shackleton, maybe Shackleton and all those, you yeah. know, all those people that go out there, and and it was that was it was. So this is like the this is like the ultimate. This is like the trip of a lifetime in many regards. I mean, when you have twenty one hundred miles still to go, and you're driving in a car, I mean, you have so much time over your trip to to just have sort of self introspection and to be grateful and to be thankful and just like this is a fabulous thing. Well, yeah. When you know, I was sixty-three or four. I was sixty-four at that time. My brother was in a home with dementia at sixty-four. Yeah, and he died at at sixty-seven. And I was like, if I'm ever going to do something, now's the time. Because who knows, I might get what he had. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so people ask me, was I afraid? You know, well, I'm more afraid of getting that. Yeah. Than traveling through South America. Yeah. You know, and there were times I was afraid, but we were, I was super careful. And I don't, you know, I mean, I was careful. Yeah, you're careful. Like we made sure we were secure. We never drove at night. We made sure we were in a secure location at night because the, the, you know, the people told me never drive at night. They'll block the roads off and rob you. You will get robbed, you know? And so, you know, I, I heard that a long time ago. In fact, I didn't turn my headlights on for like a year. (laughs) Honestly, God, I mean, I just, I just drove in the day, you know? I was super careful, and nothing happened, consequently. So we got to Ushuaia, and we hung out there, and that was just amazing. And We're overlooking the Beagle Channel. That's the Beagle, SS Beagle, which is the boat that Darwin was on Uh when he went to the Galapagos and Uh established the theory of evolution. I mean, this is history. There's so much history. And we drove through Tierra del Fuego, where there's all this history, and there's all these, like, old sailing ships that are washed up on the shorelines and yeah. oh my god it was amazing That's cool. and then and then we took this ferry from Puerto Natales which is like this little port we got on this ferry we put the truck on this ferry and we went a thousand miles up the Patagonia fjords to this place Portamont and this inland waterway in Patagonia where yeah. there's glaciers and mountains wow, and all this stuff gorgeous Oh, it was absolutely remarkable. Yeah. You know, and they, and they, you know, it's this big ferry and they have food and cabins and all this stuff. And yeah. So, oh, it was, so it was very, it was nice. It was comfortable. And, and then you would be, you'd go out onto the deck and it was just like ridiculously Antarctic, yeah. gorgeous, crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're in Patagonia. You're places where nobody is. That's insane. That like, sounds so cool. It was so round. It was so cool. The yeah. trip of a lifetime. Yeah, it was. And what would you, what's your biggest takeaway? Like if I, somebody said, what do you, what's your takeaway? What's your 30,000 foot looking down on this trip? What's your, what's your takeaway? 
Well, I'm grateful to be surfing at my age. Yeah. Charging. I mean, I was charging. I was charging. Uh, you know, in Chile, I was charging 15 foot surf. You know, 64 years old. I know. I've seen you. I've seen I was you just go. like I've seen you go. I, was, I know. You I was just it. charging these waves. You know, I was just like so grateful I could surf again. So grateful. Yeah, that's cool. Oh my gosh, I'm all about the surf now. It's like I can still surf. I'm like stoked. Yeah. You know, a lot of people at my age are gone, like my brother. You know. Yeah. And other people I know, or, or they can't surf, or they're all messed up. I'm still really healthy. Yeah. Super stoked to be traveling. And then have the money to be able to do this kind of stuff, you know. And, and then to be, you know, live in the U.S., to be able to fly home and get treatment yeah. if I have something wrong with me. I mean, my kids, my daughter would have been dead had we lived in South America. She's a survivor of a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. You know, they, the fabulous doctors and hospitals here saved her. Yeah. You know, so... You know, I, there's a lot of gratitude for my life. Yeah, I guess that yeah. a lot of a lot of gratitude. For super, sure. super grateful. Yeah. You know, I try to never complain. You know, after seeing what people live through down there, yeah. I mean, imagine getting a broken arm and they cut your hand off. I mean, what the heck, you know? Well, I know that your the the Facebook post that you posted when you were down there on your trip with those of us that were lucky enough to follow along. I think that gratitude and that stoke definitely spilled out into the photos and into the, the little you oh, know, cool. the little words that you sent us. So it was cool. Neat. And then real quick, so you turned around and came home. You did this whole thing backwards. Well, I flew back you... to Santiago uh-huh. and there's Facebook groups called uh, Pan American Travelers Association. Mm-hmm. And I met this lady and we put our truck on uh, or I put my truck, we hired a shipping container. I, I shipped it from this town by Santiago, Chile, yeah. to Manzanillo, Mexico. Oh, okay. And I flew back, I flew up to Manzanillo and picked my truck up and drove home. Cool. I hung out at Pascuales while that was going on. Yeah, that's a pretty gnarly way for a 64-year-old or oh, yeah. a 54-year-old. Yeah, no, it was a little gnarly for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't surf it a whole lot. Yeah. It was, you know. It's a fun it's place kind of, to hang out, though, and kind of check it out. Although Kalima, Tecumon's kind of a gnarly city. Like, I got killed right out of the, outside the hotel Yeah, when I was there. Oh. Um, you mean on the beach or in the town? Just uh, down by, have you been to Pasquale's? Yeah. Yeah, down by the water. Oh, by Edgar's? Just past Edgar's uh-huh, a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I had enough yeah. of that. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, as soon as my truck came in, I drove straight home. Yeah. I drove from Manzanillo all the way back home, all the way up. I came up through... Um, the desert? Yeah, through the desert. Uh-huh, I wanted to get back in the U.S. Yeah. I'd had enough of... I mean, Mexico, uh, when that guy got killed that night, because it was Saturday night, and or Friday, it was Saturday night, and they were partying right outside the hotel, yeah. a bunch of guys. And I was like, I'll just stay in my room. It's like, this is no place for some old gringo to be. Yeah. And then the guy got killed. I was like... I am so out of here. Yeah. I am so out of here. For sure. And, um, you know, nothing happened to me. I never had any, any threats or anything like that. It was just the vibe. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure it was other drug-related things like that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, one of the things that happened to me is I, I met this lady on Facebook in the Pan American Travelers Association. put my, my truck in a shipping container with her van. Well, she was a pot smoker, and then they had dogs check the container and so it held up our being you know going back home because they had to search 
her van and search all my stuff. They took a lot of my stuff. You know, I learned a valuable lesson not to put my truck in a container with somebody I don't really know. You know, luckily they never found any drugs. You could have been tied to that situation. Just Well, while that was going on, when I found out the drugs were coming, or the dogs were coming to look at the truck the next day, I took a taxi to the airport in Chile and I flew home. <laughs> I left my truck behind. I yeah. flew home. All the paperwork was already done. Yeah. I flew home. I was like, man, and I was sweating it at the airport because I thought if I get pulled into her, yeah. her, you know, drug problem, this is going to be a real bummer, you know. But luckily, she had nothing. They had rifled through every square inch of our stuff, taken all kinds of like useless crap that was gone, and um, it was uh, it was frustrating. But I learned a valuable lesson. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, not to, you know, just to steer as far away from any of the drug scene yeah. as I can, especially down there. I think that your travel log's super, uh, obviously it's fascinating, and, and I think it's going to be, I hope it'll be helpful to listeners. I'm, I know there's a lot of people that would love to take an adventure. This is a pure adventure you did, Mike, and I think talking about it in this podcast is, is going to be inspiring. I know I'm inspired. It's going to inspire people to do it and to do it sort of the right way and, and maybe pick up on some, some lessons that you offered here in this sort of travel log, if you will. So thanks. Thank you, Scott. Everyone
girls forget about it.